Brothers and sisters, things are not always as they appear to be. I'm sure you have, you've heard it, that said before, uh, this statement of wisdom. It's kind of like a, a modern-day proverb, I think. And uh, I'm sure you've uh, even learned how true it is. Things are not always as they appear to be. For example, if you uh, see a man running headlong out of the bank, and if you see him jump into his car and tear off, it might appear that the bank has just been robbed, when actually the man just took a call on his mobile phone to learn that his wife is on her way to the hospital to have a baby. Or if you see a young man and, and a young lady sitting at the same table in a restaurant, you might, uh, uh, or it might appear that they are on a date together, when actually they're brother and sister. Or maybe they're simply early for a meeting with a whole group of young people to work on a school project together. Be careful with hasty conclusions because things are not always as they appear to be. And while this is true very generally in the whole wide world around us, it's especially true in the matters of our Christian faith and in the life of the church. I know your works said uh, Christ to the church in Revelation 3, verse 1. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. In other words, things were not what they appeared to be in Sardis. People were looking at them, probably meaning the other churches around them, and, and uh, by all appearances, the church in Sardis was alive. And the, the sense of the text here seems to be that, uh, that they were even known to be very alive. Just look at everything they were doing. But Christ says to them, I know your works. In other words, he could see what they were doing just as well as everyone else. Even better, of course. So he says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Even in the church, in fact, especially in the church, let's be careful with hasty conclusions. And what about us? Are we alive or are we dead? Well, let's let Christ decide as we consider his words to the church in Sardis. And let's first consider the characteristics of a dead church. One thing that Christ makes clear in this passage is that a dead church may have plenty of deeds. Again, I know your works, says Christ to the church, even as he pronounces them dead. So an active church, a church that is doing things and going places and building things is not necessarily a church that is alive. I know your works, says Christ, but you are dead. And this is very important for us to hear in our own day because we live in such a pragmatic culture. The emphasis is always on what works, on uh, what gets the quickest results. And so if the politician, once elected into office, doesn't produce the desired results, we, uh, we seek to unseat him or her in the next election and try somebody else. Uh, if the CEO of the company 
or the head coach of the beloved team doesn't turn things around in a couple of years, well, they pay off his contract and find somebody new. And maybe that's the way it should be. I'm no sociologist. I'm certainly no expert when it comes to uh, sports or business. But the question remains, is, is that the way the church ought to be run? Should works be the sole measure of whether the church is alive? And the answer is no. I know your works, says Christ. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And someone may mistake this to mean that uh, we're, we're fine just sitting around then on our hands. And that's not at all the point here. In fact, we might even think of James 2, where uh, in verse 14, James asks that, that terribly pointed question, What good is it, my brothers, if a man says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And again, in verse 17, he writes, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's uh, clearly a call to action in the church. That's, uh, that's an emphasis on works, to be sure. And we can go back further to the Great Commission that uh, Christ gave to the church upon His ascension into heaven. Go, He said. That's, a, that's an active word. Go. Make disciples. That's a, a call to action in the church. That's an emphasis on deeds, to be sure. And yet, just a few decades later, it would seem, Christ is addressing the church in Sardis, and he writes, I know your works, but you are dead. In James 2, faith without works is dead, but in Revelation 3, works alone are no sure sign of life in the church. Something is clearly missing. In verse 2, Christ goes on to say, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God which is not to say do more works, but rather that works alone are incomplete. But another characteristic of, um, of a dead church is that a, a dead church may have the reputation of being alive. Uh, the obvious question is who gets to decide whether the church is alive or dead. Is it the world? If the world thinks we're alive, then we're alive or maybe it's the church herself who gets to decide. As long as we're satisfied with ourselves, as long as we can keep ourselves excited, then we're alive. Or is it the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars who decides? And here's one of those points where we must decide who rules the church. Here we must decide whether we set our own standards define our own terms, apply the measure of man, or whether we submit to Christ and to his word. The concern for reputation is, is a constant trap for the church. We may tell our children, uh, don't worry what others think, you just do what's right. Or we, we ask them that question, if, you're, if all your friends jump off a cliff, will you do that too? But as much as we say such thing, things to our children, yet we grow up still worried about our reputation, and we are still given to 
leaping off cliffs simply because everyone else is doing it. What will people think of us? Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, Fear of man lays a snare. And Psalm 62, verse 7 says, On God rests my salvation and my glory. And some versions even use the word reputation. On God rests my salvation and my reputation. As we, preser- as we persevere in faithfulness to God, we may get little respect from the world, but Psalm 135, verse 14 says, The Lord will vindicate His people. And so another characteristic of a dead church is that a dead church remains unprepared for Christ's return in judgment. Revelation 3, verse 3 says, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. These words from Christ echo back to his teaching in Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. And here we see again that things are not always what they appear to be. It might appear that there is peace and safety, peace and security, but only by mere appearances. Just because people say peace and security, peace and security, doesn't mean that there is any such thing, even in the church, for the church may yet be dead. And once more in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, For the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So then, as we hear Christ say again in Revelation 3 that he will come like a thief, Let us not miss the point that we must be ready. We must be the church alive until that day. We must make sure our children and grandchildren are prepared to stay awake after we are gone. And that brings us to consider next the characteristics of the living church. Christ has said to the church in Sarda, I know your works, you have a reputation, you have a great reputation but I say you are dead. While others are standing back and saying, wow, what life, what vitality, what success in that church, Christ issues the truth. You are dead. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God, he says. And then what is the completion? He calls them to wake up. But then what does that mean? In verse 3, he goes on to say, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. So the first characteristic of the living church is that the living church remembers. Remember what you uh, received and heard. Christ is referring to the apostolic teaching on which the church is founded. Christ is referring to the scriptures 
to the writing and teaching of the prophets and apostles. He is referring to what we now have in our Bibles and summarized for us in our confessions. The living church is the church that remembers God's truth. We might recall from Acts 2 that uh, following Pentecost, the primary thing that the church was all about was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The primary thing that the apostles did as the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost was that they began to preach the word of God. And following that day in that ministry, the primary activity of the church was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Even more, it is arguably the primary instruction that Paul gives to Timothy that he must watch his life and doctrine closely. To Titus as well, Paul writes, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Timothy and Titus were uh, two of the first ministers of the word in the early church, and what the Apostle Paul wrote to them, recorded in, in our Bibles, has long served as instruction for, for ministers and for the church ever since then. It may come as a surprise to some that uh, the word doctrine is a, is a biblical word. In many circles, even in the church today, the word doctrine is considered a bad word when actually it comes straight out of Scripture. And it's a word that simply means the teaching of God's Word. It refers to the truths set forth in the Word of God. And, and when we consider that the Word of God is simply the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, then we can, we, we can see, we ought to see, that, that doctrine is simply the teaching of God about Himself. Doctrine is God saying, this is who I am. I am not like your idols, the gods that you make by your own imagination. It's not for you to tell me what who I am and what I'm like. I am who I am. It's not for you to create me in your own image, for I have created you in my image. I am the one true God, and I choose to reveal myself to you through my Son, Jesus Christ. As a result, those who might even rail against doctrine. Well, they rail against God Himself. Those who dismiss doctrine dismiss God Himself. And those who say, don't bother me with doctrine, are simply saying, don't bother me with God. I'm, I'm just interested in my own ideas. And as a result, the church that does away with doctrine is dead. They may be busy from sunup to sundown. They may have quite the reputation all over town and across the land, but, but that church is dead that fails to remember what they have received and heard. Another characteristic is, is that the living church obeys what they have received and heard. Christ goes on to say, still in verse 3, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. And repent. So the living church always obeys the, the teaching of God's word as a matter of repentance. Obedience is always a matter of repentance because we are always given to disobedience. But the thing that might sound strange here is that 
doctrine is something to be obeyed. If doctrine is a matter of uh, truth statements concerning who God is, revealed in Jesus Christ, then how do you obey a truth statement? Well, you obey it by proclaiming it to the world. You will obey it by teaching it in the church. You obey it by doing all things according to God's truth. We need so much to see that doctrine is uh, not just a matter of what's down on paper. A doctrine is the thing that shapes the church. Doctrine defines the ministry of the church. Doctrine determines how the church worships. It's because God is who He is that we are who we are as the church. People will say doctrine divides, and they're exactly right. It divides truth from error. It divides the faithful from the unfaithful. It divides the living church from the church that is dead despite their works. So in conclusion, here are four signs of life in the church. Four signs of life in the church. First, I want to say serious Sabbath school. Teachers in the church need to understand that they are giving life to the next generation in the church. If our children don't know God's word, then they will not know who God is. And without the revelation of God in Jesus Christ set forth as truth in the word of God, they will follow their own hearts and they will worship idols. Some churches are already worshiping idols because they don't care what God's word says. They just want to do and, and to do and, and to do some more. Well, the one thing they don't is to bother with doctrine. We need a, we need a serious educational Sabbath school program where the emphasis is not first on having fun, but on learning. And that takes parents as well who send their children and talk to them at home, teaching them at home and talking to them at home uh, about what they've learned in church, at, in Sunday school. A second sign of life in the church is faithful catechism. And notice the distinction I am making between Sabbath school and catechism. Uh, they are not the same thing. Sabbath school starts with Bible, I'm sorry, yeah, Sabbath school starts with Bible knowledge so that our children will know the stories of the Bible. But catechism asks the question, what are the, what are the central teachings of God's word as a whole? What is, the, what is the doctrinal truth set forth in the word of God? And for catechism, we, we make use of our church's historic confessions as a summary of what the Bible teaches, and this too, this even more, requires a parent's commitment to doing catechism at home and perhaps even sending their children uh, to catechism programs uh, at church and certainly checking with them regularly on their, on their progress. A third sign of life in the church is doctrinal preaching. Instead of looking for a Monday morning application in every sermon, we need to see that the preaching of God's Word is 
even primarily about changing the way we think. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There is very little that is going to change in our behavior and in our practice unless it comes by the renewing of our minds. And such renewal is not a one-time event. Every week, God's Word must call us back from idolatry and reset our thinking, our careless, rebellious thinking about who God is, who we are, and how we must relate to God for our salvation in Christ. And a fourth sign of life in the church is faithful leadership, elders who know and study and teach uh, the doctrine of the church. In Titus 1 verse 9, the Holy Spirit says of an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, the leaders of the church must remember what they have received and heard, and they must obey it. So things are not always what they appear to be. It, uh, it isn't finally uh, whether we think we're alive or whether anyone else watching us thinks we're alive. It's, uh, it's whether or not we are alive according to the Word of God. Let us not be or or let us indeed be, uh, the living church. Let us be alive by doctrine, and certainly, by all means, let us be alive by deeds. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, for your letter to the church in Sardis. Thank you for what we can learn from this and how we can apply it. Help us to be the a living church filled with your spirit and doing the things uh, that you would have us to do. Help us to love your word. Help us to study it. Help us to teach it to our children in the home and and at church. Oh Lord, we would be alive. And so we pray that you would so fill us with your living spirit that we would be that church that you would call and make us to be In your name, Lord Jesus, do we pray. Amen.